0: let's go ahead now and take a look as we continue reading through the gospel of luke together we find ourselves in chapter 11 verse 14 and as we are making our way to jerusalem and to the cross jesus is now literally walking within his last week as he's making his way to jerusalem and on the way he is hitting various conflicts and confrontations and within these conflicts and confrontations, Luke is answering for us anticipated questions that he believes his reader will begin to ask themselves within their own mind as they are reading through this letter in which he has written. So let us begin in verse 14 and let us read together. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. And the people marveled, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you and your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges." But if it is only by the, but it is by the finger of God that I cast out these demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one, when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he to- takes away his armor in which he has trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever is not gathered to me is scattered from me. As Jesus now begins his way to his final week here on this earth before his crucifixion, the religious leaders are consistently and constantly trying to discredit him each and every step that he takes to Jerusalem. He, they want to finalize in the hearts and the minds of the people that Jesus Christ is not the anticipated Messiah. They want the people to discredit him. They want the people to reject him as the leaders of Jerusalem have rejected him. And so as he is making his way, each and every time something occurs, especially something supernaturally that occurs, They are challenging him outright and before all to show that he is not the Messiah that they have accepted. Now this account is found in Matthew's Gospel and also in Mark's. And we are told that these individuals that uh, come against Jesus were none other than scribes from Jerusalem. They were the ones that were well-versed in the law of God. They were the ones that would debate philosophy and uh, pagan gods and pagan followers. And they would be the ones that would be set forth in an apologetic manner to bring forth the objections to whatever uh, ideology is being considered at that time that opposes Judaism. And so they appear to leave Jerusalem and come to Jesus... And begin to discredit what has just occurred, for Jesus has cast out another demon, and this particular demon uh, didn 't allow the man or woman in whom they possessed to speak while they were possessed by this demon. We have found that demons have caused individuals to lose their sight we have found that demons have they have lost their motor. Uh, facilities they have inadvertently tried to harm themselves due to the possession that the demon has brought about and the demon here in this particular case did not allow the individual to speak i can't even imagine the horror that this individual lived within being demon possessed and not being able to share or talk or to express or to cry out for help And yet Jesus sees and knows what is necessary and casts that demons out. And the moment that he did, the man, I should say, spoke. Unfortunately, instead of glorifying God by what has just occurred, even though the people that were surrounding him marveled, noticed with me, in verse fifteen, some of them—that is, the scribes that were amongst them, as Matthew and Mark tell us—they claim that he casts out demon by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. This was a title for Satan. In fact, it was the most prominent title for Satan throughout the Old Testament. Beelzebub was a—it uh, was the prince of the uh, Palestinian. I'm sorry, the uh, Philistines, uh, God there in their culture, and it was a derogatory term, and it was a term that the Jews adopted to label Satan by. It means Lord of the Flies. It means one who is there to destroy. In fact, some grammatical experts believe that Beelzebub could also be translated a pile of dung i'll let you deal with that one but this is the way the jewish people saw satan and they now claim that jesus has expelled this demon has cast this demon out by the power of satan which is an illogical inconsistent and a faulty argument to say the least and jesus confronts them on this now i want to make it abundantly clear if i haven't already as we've been going through the luke, uh, gospel of luke let me do so this morning and put this subject to rest do i believe that satan is a literal entity absolutely i do i believe satan is real his mission as jesus says is he has come to steal to kill and to destroy peter says that satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking in whom he may devour satan is not your friend satan is not one that you can be an ally with without you yourself being destroyed in the process there are many who are fascinated with satan There are many who believe that Satan can offer them some type of power, prestige, and position, and yet in the end, their own personal lives are destroyed due to their allegiance to such a one. Now there are others that are completely on the other end of the spectrum who do not believe that Satan exists at all. And I believe this is where Satan operates the most freely is when individuals no longer believe that Satan is real. I believe then he operates without impunity. No one holds him accountable. No one holds him at check. I believe Satan is real. I believe he is our great adversary. I believe Satan is the ruler of this world as the Bible describes him. I believe it is Satan who is... who has designed a world system that can be summed up in this verse. All that is in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Drawing individuals away from Christ and into destruction. I believe Satan is the one that has paved the broad way that many travel without resistance. I believe Satan is the one that is responsible for the ideologies that are plaguing our society today that are in contradiction to Christ. I believe Satan is the one that has formulated the opposition against the church and seeks to destroy not only the church not only the church but each and every individual that claims Christ. He is our great adversary. However, though, Jesus has told us this, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And though he is my great adversary, I stand in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Satan is no match for God. Let us not misunderstand. Satan is not the opposite and equal to God. He is nowhere near it. Okay, He is an angel who has fallen due to the pride that was welled within his heart and desired to be worshipped as God is worshipped. Satan is the one that from the very beginning tempted Adam and Eve to negate the perfection that God had created them in and to enter into a relationship of death due to sin. However, though, as Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. I have a respect for the enemy, but as I grow in my relationship with Christ, I fear him less and less every single day. And not that I stand in myself or in my own ability against him, I stand in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus told the crowd just prior to this that if they were to pray, their Heavenly Father would give them the good gift of the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is being challenged by what authority and what power he casts this demon from this man. To indicate and to show that though he himself claims to be able to give the Holy Spirit to others, he himself, though, appears to be operating in the power of Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, the pile of dung that he is. And while others tested him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven, the sign before him, before them, wasn't sufficient in their own minds. They wanted something more grand something more spectacular to be convinced that he was the messiah in whom he claimed to be now let me ask you a question reading the old testament the children of israel saw some pretty fascinating things from their time when they've been delivered from egypt and then making their way to the land in which god had promised to give them They saw ten plagues come upon Egypt, and in each one of those plagues, the Jewish people were all spared the the consequences of the plague, the plight of the plague. When they made their way out, they saw a pillar by day, a, a cloud and a pillar of fire by night to lead them and to guide them. When they came to the Red Sea and thought that they had finally come to the end of their road, literally the end of the road, for a sea was before them, two cliffs were on each side of them, and the Egyptian army was bearing down upon them from the rear. They thought it was all over at that time. And then Moses got up on top of the rock and he raised the staff and God did the unexpected parting the Red Sea to allow them to walk upon dry ground to deliver them from their enemies. And as their enemies began to proceed after them into the Red Sea, the Red Seas closed upon them. I don't know about you, but I would say those are pretty significant signs, wouldn't you? And yet, when they got out into the middle of the wilderness, when there wasn't a rest area in sight, and they began to become hungry. And they were saying, oh, the leeks and the onions in Egypt were so good. I'm sorry. I, I, I think I would die before I cry out for a leek or an onion. In fact, you know, I don't even know if I've ever had a leek. I've had a leak in my roof. I, but, but to them, that was everything. And what did God do? He provided manna. And when they started getting, you know, all mannaed out, you know, they had banana bread and they had, you know, manna sandwiches and they had manna mush and manna meal and, you know, all these manna things. They got tired of all these things and then God provided them quail that came about and all they had to do was take bats and knock the birds out of the air and they had as much meat and they still complained. And they still, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he trying to get the Ten Commandments all you know, wrapped up and brought back down to them. He was a little bit too long. They grew impatient they wanted to go back to Egypt and so forth. All those signs, everything that they saw wasn't sufficient. So is it, is it surprising to you that Jesus didn't here capitulate and do some fantastic sign? He knew it wouldn't be enough. But let me ask you a question. In the cry of all of his adversaries there in the group that are seeking a sign and claiming that he has done what he has done by the power of Beelzebub, do you think the man that was healed from the demon possession is questioning any of that? Do you think the man who is healed by by Jesus is questioning who Jesus is? Everybody doubts who Jesus is until they come to him and they realize what he's capable of doing he touched him he released him he allowed him to speak again that man's not questioning it that man doesn't need another sign that man doesn't need any more proof that he is exactly who he says he was no you see these people who obs- uh, who opposed jesus at this moment were blinded by their presupposition They had a presupposition that they all determined to believe and that presupposition was that Jesus was not the Messiah and it didn't matter what he were to have done, nothing was going to cut through that blindness that that presupposition brought upon them. Nothing. They were determined not to listen to him, not to receive him, not to believe in him. Even though the evidence was so clear in everything that he did his constant identification to every prophecy within the book of isaiah concerning the messiah that luke brings forward for us should have been sufficient for them and yet it wasn't and yet they further rejected him mocking him and even asking for a greater sign from heaven but in verse 17, Jesus challenges their illogical and inconsistent and faulty position. Knowing their thoughts, that tells me enough that he's God right there, said to them, don't you understand that every king did, kingdom excuse me, divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. Now for you and I, we see the logic of that statement. But there was a practical consideration that the children of Israel would have certainly drawn from when they heard this. And that was the division of their own nation. When their nation started out as one nation, and then they rebelled against God, and then Judah and Israel split into two nations for a long period of time, warring against one another, at on- animosity with one another, and because they were uh, un- deunified in that way, they no longer could stand against their enemy. He says, "What what craziness it is to think that a divided house, a divided kingdom, could stand." And he goes on to push the point even uh, uh, forward further when he says in verse 18, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? This is craziness he's saying. For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your sons judges if i do that then where is the power that you present to cast out demons coming from and that's where he's showing the inconsistency of their thinking he's showing them that in their current line of thought they would negate the own superior position that they demonstrated over the demonic kingdom in the manner in which they expelled demons from others, and therefore those who have will become their judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God, the power, the authority of God. If I do these things in that authority, in that power, then the kingdom of God has arrived. Your king is here and you are now determined to reject him. And that's what he's saying to them. Today, Christianity has been swallowed up by the ideology and the philosophy of this world of naturalism. And what that means is this. It means that we have tried to divorce christianity from any supernatural interaction with the spiritual world many christians today i've talked with them no longer believe that satan is real they don't belong they don't believe that he is actively in opposition to them and the church Uh, They do not believe that demons exist. I talked to one lady who was adamant that at the cross she believed that every single demon died and therefore there's no more demons to be contended with. I said that's interesting because throughout the New Testament we have uh, one example of another of demonic activity after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that can't be true. One of the reasons I believe that we as Christians are no longer committed to a strong and diligent prayer life is because of the fact we no longer believe that we are in a spiritual warfare, that we are in a spiritual battle. And yet, Jesus made it clear that we were. Paul the Apostle, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, makes it abundantly clear that you and I, as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, are still engaged in a spiritual battle. And as he's concluding this incredible letter to the Ephesian church, in chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, he writes to us, he says, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might now good advice to any christian finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might now paul was a master of anticipating what question would follow next in the mind and in the heart of one who is reading his letter well how do i do that How can I be strong? How can I be uh, held in the strength of His might? Look what he says in verse 11. Here's how you do it. By putting on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the what? But that's just the personification of evil. Satan doesn't really exist. I don't know where that voice came from. But yet Paul saw the devil as an adversary. Paul saw him as one that we needed to prepare ourselves to engage in the battle against him. And we do so by putting on the whole armor of God. And I'm going to pose a, 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 a thought to you this morning. I wonder how many Christians are here this morning who are naked. Who haven't put on the whole armor of God before they left their house. You know, this, as soon as it turned 50 degrees, you know, uh, my wife went for the parka, you know, because she's cold. She, she, she's cold when it's 85. I don't get it. I'm wearing shorts, and, she, and she's cold. You know, we uh, had our hayride with the youth group on Friday, and it's always, you know, it's always an incredible experience to be with, the, with them. And there were some kids, or at least one kid, I could say, that came in shorts, you know, he was determined. You know, he's like, no way. I'm not, I'm not letting go of summer yet. I'm not letting go of fall yet. And he was perfectly fine. It was, it, but he made everybody else colder, I think. You know, everybody's just looking at him. It's like, and he was perfectly fine, you know. But he says here very clearly put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, that is, the plans, that is, the um, tactics of the devil. For we do not, notice this, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Our adversaries are not individuals who do not believe in Jesus Christ. They are just like we once were blind to the fact of their need for a savior but what we are in battle with is the forces behind the fallen world we do not make a war with those individuals we do not uh, leave them as collateral damage in the wake of the spiritual warfare no we engage the spiritual entities behind this world and therefore he says in verse 13 take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is... In opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. But please notice the link between the spiritual warfare, the whole armor of God, and prayer. There was a book that came out in the 1980s, and I encourage all Christians to read it. It was called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. I read it as a young believer in Jesus Christ and it changed my prayer life ever since I have. Because I realize that when I'm praying, I'm getting into the battle. I'm getting off of the bench and I'm getting onto the playing field. I'm getting out of the bleachers and I'm actually participating in the game. And it is these things that we pray against and that we fight against. It is these entities that are blinding the hearts and the minds and the eyes of those whom you love that do not know Christ as their Savior. And if you want the blinders to be taken off, then you must go and take heed in this battle against these forces to ask God to do that on your behalf. Paul made it abundantly clear that we are in a spiritual warfare. And to try to negate that fact, to try to uh, naturalize Christianity and say that the supernatural does not exist is absolutely crazy in the light of Scripture. And so as we return to our passage this morning, Jesus clearly says that that which I do, I do by the power of God. And notice what he says here as he concludes with an illustration from verse 20 on. He says, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him, He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever is not gathered with me scatters. Jesus is saying right here that Satan is one who is strong. He is saying very clearly that he is guarding over that that which is his, which is the fallen world. When man fell, he gave dominion of this world over to Satan. And that's what the temptation of Christ was all about when Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, I will give you all of the kingdoms of this world. I'll give you everything if you'll just bow to me. Because Satan reigns over this kingdom, this, this world, this realm in which we live. And then he also protects, or I should say holds captive... His goods, however though, but when one stronger comes, his goods are taken from him. Those goods are you. Satan has held us captive for too long. And one stronger has now come. And that stronger one, if we will put our faith and trust in him, will release us from the captivity of Satan here on this earth. Open our eyes open our hearts to His truth and to His light and to His understanding. And He will take from us our old lives and give us a brand new start in Jesus Christ. One stronger has come. One greater than Satan. One who is sufficient to dethrone Satan as ruler of this world. One who is able to set the captives free. One who is capable to allow the blind to see, the mute to speak. One who is capable of not only saving but making an individual whole again and returning him or her to the state in which they were originally created to that perfection. That perfection that we will enter into when we are there finally before him for all eternity. God's in the restoration business. But one stronger than Satan had to come and one stronger than Satan has come and his name is Jesus. And he has won the battle. And he has won the fight. And then he says to them, all who are listening, either you are for me or you're against me. Either you're gathering to me or you're scattering from me. There is no neutrality when it comes to Christianity. There isn't this fence, this proverbial fence that people feel that they can stand upon and have one foot in Christianity and one foot in the world. And those are the most miserable people if you ever meet them. You know why? Because they have too much of the world in them to enjoy Christ and they have too much of Christ in them to enjoy the world. And Jesus is saying, no, no, get off the fence. Commit your life to me. Give your heart to me. Because Satan has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. He goes on and warns them, if you notice with me, in verse 24, he says, It has gone out of a person. It passes through the waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, Well, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they entered into that dwell and to dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. He's saying this, that if simply if this man would have just simply stopped at that point after the demon had been exercised from him, expelled from him, Without accepting Jesus Christ, he would allow himself to leave himself vulnerable and open to that demon returning. And returning with seven more. And it would be even worse the second time. And Jesus is saying, no, don't be incomplete. He says, now that you have been released from the power of Satan under this possession in which you have had, now come to Christ and you will no longer be possessed ever again. I do not believe scripture teaches that a christian can be possessed by a demon you know why because again someone once wrote he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world and there's no room for the holy spirit and this lousy demon all at the same time is there now demons can hassle us they can oppress which they can make things difficult and so on and so forth and when they do this is when i would encourage you to run to prayer I'm also going to say this, if I may. One of the most vulnerable positions that you can put yourself in is isolation from the body of Christ. Satan has a he has a mandate. He has a methodology. That's even a be, that's a better word methodology of attack, and that is this: to divide and conquer. And often Christians leave themselves the most vulnerable to oppression, and to difficulty when they separate themselves from fellowship in the body of Christ. When they stay home instead of getting up. When they decide to worship St. Mattress rather than getting up and coming to church. When they decide that, you know what, church is full of hypocrites and I don't need to be with them and I can worship God at home and I can listen to a podcast. No, you're missing one of the key elements of Christianity and that's fellowship. Encouraging one another. Have we not concluded that social media is not the end-all to a relationship building, right? In fact, it has done just the opposite. It has left people in a more lonely state than they've ever been in before. We were created to have personal interaction with one another, and there's no better personal interaction to have than with your brothers and sisters in Christ but I'm going to be honest with you, guys. You know, and you're like, I hope so, you're the pastor. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. And please, you know me well enough. Guys, too many people make church an option rather than a necessity. Too many people allow themselves To be dragged away by different commitments and away from church Sunday after Sunday. Now, of course, we miss once in a while. And of course, someone gets sick. And of course, a commitment comes up on occasion. But when it's months at a time, when it is week after week after week, we're not in fellowship with one another. Do you know that so many parents have inadvertently taught their children by their actions that church isn't important simply because they allowed other things to become more important than church? Well, you're saying, well, you you sound pretty legalistic. No, I'm not. Not at all. I'm all about grace. In fact, I was introduced at a conference when I spoke there as the epitome of grace. I know all about grace. I thought it was a compliment at first until I looked up the word epitome, but we have given people the impression that church is, it's an, you know, it, it's, a, it's an option, it's, it, it's something. No. The Bible says, do not neglect the fellowship of the brothers and sisters. It says it clearly. And when we show our kids at weekend and week out, you know, church isn't important, church isn't important. Why should it be important to them then? I don't understand that thinking. Our children learn more from what we do than what we say. Have we finally realized that? If we say something that is important to us and then they see us act completely contrary to that, they are going to catch more than they're going to be taught by us verbally communicating it to them. Guys, we need to reevaluate some things. You know, uh, (laughs) when we first started the church, it was hysterical. We decided that 10 o'clock on Sunday is when we would start church. So the first Sunday as I was back by the back doors of the church when we were over in the school, I was saying hi to people, and the first person came up to me and said, have you ever thought about starting at 9.30? Because, you know, it gets out earlier and so on and so forth. And, you know, we can get to the restaurants quicker and don't have to deal with the 12 o'clock. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know. And I swear before God that the very next person came up to me and said, do you ever think about starting at 10.30? (laughs) You know, that extra half hour of sleep, I'm sure would motivate me even more. So I I didn't listen to either of them. (laughs) And we kept it at 10 o'clock. We kept it at 10 o'clock. You know me well enough, guys. I'm not legalistic in my Christian life, but I honestly believe that we have become too lackadaisical in our Christian life in some areas, and church attendance is one of them. I don't know about you, but even being the pastor of this church for so long, I can't wait to see you guys each and every Sunday. Why? Because I'm encouraged. You guys have a tendency to say something to me, probably unbeknownst to yourself, that just encourages me. I I had a rough week this week, guys. I'll be honest, a tough week. I couldn't wait to see you guys. I couldn't wait to be with the youth group on Friday, even though it was so cold. I couldn't wait to be with them because it's encouraging to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. When I got saved, I was the only Christian in my family. And so when I went to church, it was another family. It was a family that to this day I can say that I was even closer to growing up than I was with my biological family. And not that I don't love them, I dearly love them. But we have gone to the point now where church has become an option. I understand. There's a lot of problem in church today, isn't there, in America. Lots of problems, right? And we are by no means the only perfect church. (laughs) Trying to see who is listening. We are by no means the only great church that is out there. There are, there are a lot of them. But folks, let's be honest with ourselves. We need to be in fellowship with one another and not isolated and allowing ourselves to be subjugated to the oppression that demonic activity can bring upon us apart from the fellowship. God has given us weapons that are not carnal but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. That is prayer. The Word of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth. One lady, she yelled out to Jesus in verse 27, and she said, These things a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Oh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which nursed you. That's not something I would personally say, but she felt comfortable saying it. But he said, no, that's what he says. But he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it.